This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Good evening. Uh, my name is Ben Milner. I'm one of the pastors here, and I love uh, love this atmosphere. I love the um, Sunday before Christmas. It's one of my favorite times. I love the Christmas carols, and um, this has been a strange Christmas for me. I'm sure for all of us, we're not getting to see much family, and not nearly as much buying of gifts. Our party was canceled. I haven't been to a Christmas party. You're probably all in the same boat. So it's a strange year, it's a hard year, but it's also a year where it's really the feeling of Advent is probably as strong as I've ever felt in my Christian life. Because Advent is more a time of uh, waiting and listening and sitting at the feet of the Lord. And that's exactly what's going on in this parable. The posture of Advent is um, the posture of, of rest and uh, absence of striving and, and um, waiting for Christ to come back. Advent is not only a time where we um, are celebrating the, the birth, the first coming of Christ, it's a time where we celebrate the second coming of Christ. And we've tried to be more intentional than ever about that this year, and um, this parable or this story fits right into that. Um, the posture of Mary, who in verse 39 says, that, uh, Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So you have this contrast of these two sisters, Martha, who is anxious, it says. It says she's troubled. Um, it's kind of like a, a typical Christmas where you're full of distraction. Uh, you're full of appointments. And uh, everything's very busy, busy, busy. Whereas uh, Mary is focused solely on one thing, which is that the word of Christ to her, the voice of Jesus speaking to her. And uh, it's, again, it's a beautiful picture of what Advent is like. So I want to look at those two things, Mary and Martha. Martha first, verse 40, Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, obviously, that last word implies that she is doing something good. She is serving Jesus. She loves him. They knew him. He probably came by their house on the way to Jerusalem because he knew that he could find hospitality there. And so she wants to show him lavish hospitality, the best kind of hospitality. And back then, hospitality was a much bigger deal than it is today because in a nomadic climate where people were constantly passing through towns with no hotels, they would stay at other people's houses, their friends' houses. And so the quality of your hospitality was a mark of distinction in a shame-honor culture like theirs. It was a mark of honor who was a great host who could host people really well and serve the best food and make them the most comfortable and have the nicest bed for them. So 
the, the closest thing that I can think of to that today would be having a really great party. If you're known for someone who can throw a great party or the quality of your wedding reception or your rehearsal dinner, that kind of thing, um, where people talk about it, that's the closest thing that we can think of to the way that hospitality would have been um, back then, how, how it would have been regarded. So in verse 38, when it says, uh, Martha welcomed him into her house, there's a lot going on in that little statement, welcomed him. Um, that's a lot more than opening the front door. You actually would, uh, you would kind of bow to a guest, and uh, they would take their sandals off. There was a lot of formality to the, there was a greeting you would always say to the other person. So the welcome is a lot more than what we do these days. And so the welcome would have included Martha preparing this feast for him. And she probably knew he was coming and had worked for a long time to get things ready, get the ingredients. But you can imagine her busy, busy, busy cutting up fruit and figs. And um, they loved melons, a lot of uh, cantaloupe, honeydew melon. They would have been baking flatbread. They loved flatbread. Um, so she would have been making that and probably had a stew. She probably killed an animal, which is very rare, but they probably killed a lamb or something to make stew. You can imagine her tasting that, and you can imagine her wiping her brow, you know, and barking out orders. I mean, you can get the picture if you've ever hosted a big party. Um, that 30-minute that window between the start of the party and the last preparations, that's what Martha is in. And uh, it says it left her anxious and troubled, verse 41. Those are strong Greek words. Um, the, the tension that you feel if you've ever hosted a party uh, right there at crunch time is what she's feeling. Uh, anxious and troubled. My parents used to have a huge Christmas party every year, which is kind of where uh, our family got the idea of having that each year for the church. And um, the only time in my life that my mom ever cursed at me was right before one of those parties. Uh, I can remember right where I was because she never in my whole life had cursed at me except for at that moment because she was so tense and so anxious. I was standing right by the trash can in our kitchen, and I'll never forget that. That's, um, that's like Martha here. She's so on edge. Uh, you could cut the tension you know, with a knife in the room, and you can imagine her looking around at all the things she has to get done, and she knows that Jesus and his disciples are out in her courtyard, and uh, she sees her younger sister, who, you know, your younger sibling, you always, it's like you're the one who's responsible, and they're the one who's like the little child, the little playful one. So there's already that tension going on, but now Martha is uh, filled with anxiety, filled with trouble, and there's her sister doing nothing, and she just snaps. Uh, she says in verse 40, uh, she went up to Jesus while he was teaching, and she said, tell her to help me. So not only does she interrupt the rabbi's teaching, which was the main point of him being there, but then she also, astonishingly, she gives him a command. She speaks an imperative to the Lord. She says, uh, tell her to help me. So it's almost a rebuke of him. Now the problem wasn't that Martha was working hard. Okay, there's no problem with that. Again, hospitality is one of the greatest Christian virtues. It's one of the qualifications for an elder, one of the highest qualifications is hospitality. The, the problem was not the activity, it was not the hospitality, it was the mindset, it was the distraction. The three words that are used are distracted by many things, anxious, 
and troubled. And I would submit to you there was a way for her to be doing what she was doing and not be distracted and anxious and troubled. The problem was uh, with her thoughts that were just racing and racing and racing. Or the tightness that was in her chest. I think we've all felt that before. The blood pressure that was increasing. Uh, the inability to rest. That's the problem. You can imagine when Jesus came in that Martha could have taken a, a deep breath, centered herself, pushed away the fear, and told herself, I don't have to impress him. You know, he is the most gracious man in the whole world. I don't have to impress Jesus. It'll be okay if things are not perfect. But instead, she is filled with uh, anxiety and trouble, and she is distracted by many things. One of my uh, favorite uh, authors in terms of spirituality, I don't like him in some ways, but I love his, his work on spirituality, is Dallas Willard. Um, fantastic writer, if you haven't read the, um, the books he's written. Um, the Divine Conspiracy is a fantastic book by him, Dallas Willard. And um, somebody asked him, John Ortberg is a pastor of a large church in Menlo Park, California. He, he asked his good friend, Dallas Willard, what is the key to spiritual health? What do you do to stay in spiritual shape? And Dallas Willard Im immediately answered the, the ruthless elimination of hurry. The ruthless elimination of hurry in your life is the prerequisite to any other kind of spiritual health. Because if there's that hurry, there's that distraction, the anxiety, the trouble, you're just not going to be able to do anything um, in terms of your relationship with God. In fact, it's, it's that you shouldn't be doing. You should be resting. And when I pray, I have, a, I have a prayer list on my phone that I go through. I have seven different days. Each one has a prayer list. There's scripture in there. There's people's names. I pray through these things. It's pretty long, but... I find myself, um, oftentimes, almost every time I pray, I find myself starting to think I've got a long way to go, and I'm a lot, I don't have a lot more time, and I've got to start flying through this list. And that's where, I, that's where I lose it, right there, is when I think that I've got to get to the end of that list, and I'm not focused, and I always have to tell myself, slow down. So even when you're reading the Bible, you've got to slow down. You might have to write it down. You, you literally might have to write it down in a journal in order to slow yourself down and read that. Because our minds are so filled with hurry. Um, you know, Martha didn't have an iPhone. She didn't multitask like we did. Um, so all the more reason for us to slow down. My big takeaway from my sabbatical, a sabbatical is a thing that many pastors get every seven years. We get uh, three months off or so. And uh, so my seventh year came up. That's what Sabbath means. Sabbatical. During those three months, I was supposed to rest, and I, I did rest for the most part. But the one thing, I, my takeaway was I put on my iPhone a reminder every day at 10.30 a.m. It says five minutes of silence. I've mentioned this before. Five minutes of silence. And every day that comes up, I hit clear, and I feel terrible about it because... I would say only about 40% of the time, maybe even 30% of the time, I actually do that. Um, because I just tell myself I've got way too much stuff to do to be silent for five minutes. And if you really think about that, that's incredibly sad and tragic that with 24 hours in my day, that I would say I just have way too much going on for those five minutes to be silent and still with God. The real reason I don't do that is because it's very hard to do that. That's because I, I think 
I, I think I'm more important if I'm busy. Um, so you need to ruthlessly eliminate the intrusive thought that will come into your head tomorrow, I have got so much to do. Maybe not everybody has that thought, but a lot of us are busy people, and we have this thought, I have so much to do. And you've just got to eliminate that thought. Even if you, even if you think realistically you do have a lot to do, you've got to get rid of that thought. You've got to look at your calendar. You can't just decide to do this one day. You've got to look at your calendar and say, I've got to start cutting something. Because I've got too many appointments scheduled back to back to back. Uh, one of my mentors, Steve Beck, said, you've got to leave margin in your schedule. He said, Ben, you've got a, a, a 9 to 10 appointment, and you have a, then you have a, a 10.15 to 11.15 appointment, and then you have a 11.15 to 12. You can't do that. He said, you have to have margin between those things. So don't overcommit. Don't schedule things back to back. Don't be distracted and anxious and troubled. That's sister and it says in verse 39 that she sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching uh, that is a very radical statement because back then uh, women were not allowed to learn the Torah from the rabbis that was not in the Old Testament anywhere but in the 400 years between the Old Testament and the coming of Christ this had developed uh, in Judaism this sad teaching that women were not allowed to even participate in public prayer. And so uh, Jesus is welcoming, clearly welcoming Mary right into his circle of disciples. This is not just like one lesson. This is being called to be a disciple, a full disciple. Because the expression sat at his feet um, is, a, is an expression that the rabbis always used to say this person was in my school, uh, my rabbinic school. So the Rabbi Hillel, if you were studying with Hillel, you would, be, you would say you sat at the feet of Hillel. In um, Acts 2, uh, 22.3, it says Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. That was his rabbi. And so you could have said that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. The rabbi would sit on a high pillow, the student would sit on a mat on the ground, and they would sit at the rabbi's feet and they would learn, they would take notes. That's what it meant to be a disciple, to be a lifelong learner with your teacher. And so it, this was so countercultural for Mary to be sitting at the feet of Jesus that Martha is offended by it. Not only is she busy and distracted and anxious and troubled, she's also really mad that this is breaking protocol. And so that's why she says, tell Mary to help me and stop pretending to be a disciple. Because she is out of line. And I love how Jesus protects uh, Mary here. He says, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So there was a lot of potential shame that have come upon Mary. Everybody would have looked at Mary. Um, it would have been clear she was kind of out of place there, and Jesus immediately protects her. And he uses a culinary metaphor, fittingly, ironically. You can imagine him almost winking to Martha when he says this, but a good portion is a, a metaphor for, like when you go to a buffet, if you went to a Golden Corral buffet and you came back with a huge plate of broccoli, which has probably never been done in the history of the Golden Crowd. But if you did that, then your friend might say, wow, Ben, you've got a, that's a good portion of broccoli you've got there. And that's what Jesus is saying to Mary. He's saying, your plate is full of the best kind of food. She has chosen the good portion. You know, there's all these plates on the table, like tapas. That's how they ate back then. And Jesus is saying, she has chosen the good portion. Mary's plate is full of the kind of food that can never be taken away from her. 
So the reputation that Martha might have gained for hospitality could be taken from her. The clean kitchen that she was trying to make could be taken from her. The successful party could be taken from her. Um, but Jesus' pronouncement over you, his words over you, his, his teaching, that could never be taken from you. That could never fade away. What he says about you, he says, I know you, you're my child, you're righteous, you're beloved. What Austin said to these children, that could never be taken away from you. The words of Christ. So the same voice that protected Mary now comforts Martha. The, 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 the teaching, you know, she sat at, at the, the teach, under the teaching of Jesus, and Jesus said, that will never be taken from you. That is the good portion. And now he applies that to Martha beautifully. He applies it. He, he comforts Martha with the same kindness, the same warmth that he spoke to Mary earlier when he, when he protected her. Look at verse 41, my favorite, my favorite line. And I just hear the Lord speaking this to me, and I hope you can personalize it for you. But he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. And it's really important to know that when, whenever God repeats the name of someone in the Bible, it's a sign of intimacy. And so just three of the many examples. At the burning bush, when God meets Moses, what does he say to Moses? Moses, Moses. It's not like, wake up. You know, it's, it's, it's more like, I know you. You're, you're my creation. You're my child. Or when Samuel, the prophet Samuel, is on his night, he's a, he's, um, a teenager at night on his bed, uh, and God is calling him to be a prophet, and he says, what do he say? Samuel, Samuel. And then maybe the most famous one is when, is when Paul is on the road to Damascus, and he says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Peter, Peter, he says. There's many times this is repeated in the Bible. And so when he says, Martha, Martha, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very gentle, kind, loving, knowing word. And I love that there's, it's not an imperative. He doesn't say, stop being anxious and troubled. He could have said that, but he doesn't say that. He doesn't even say, what the heck are you doing being anxious and troubled? He doesn't ask her a question. He doesn't offer an imperative. He doesn't chide her. He doesn't correct her. He just says what is true of her. So he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled right now about many things. I see the tightness in your shoulders, Martha. I see the tension on your face. So what would he say about you right now? If he said your name twice and then he said a little phrase after that. I looked up signs of anxiety because I know that so many of us struggle with anxiety and these are some of the questions that a website had. Uh, do, your, do, do your thoughts race so much that you can't fall asleep? You know, what, what would he say, what would Jesus say to you about that? Is it hard for you to concentrate in the day? Do you feel panic and impending doom? Do you ever feel like you're not connected to your own body? And on and on and on, these things, these are signs of tension and, and anxiety. And this is where Jesus would say to you, I know all about that in your life. I understand those things. I know why those things happen. And I understand you. And I love you. And I repeat your name. There was a time where I had this uh, anxiety attack once where I just, almost, I, I, I did. I, 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 luckily, I pulled the car over and I blacked out. 
And I remember right before that moment when I blacked out, I felt like I was watching things happen and I was just a spectator. And so if you've ever gotten to that place, just hear Jesus saying your name and telling you that I, I see that in you. I understand that. I made you. I know what it's like to be a human. I know what it's like to be anxious. I've felt that before. And so I'm right there with you. And I'm intensely aware of you and I have something to say to you. And this is where it's so important that the voice of Jesus and his teaching can never be taken away. It is the good portion. And so I would just implore you that when you read the Bible, which is the beautiful encapsulation of the words of God to us, that you personalize the Bible. That you don't just read it and rush through it, but that I know somebody who gets a verse of the day um, on her, her iPhone every day, and she takes that verse and she journals about that verse and puts her name in there. And so in this case, it would not be Martha. Martha would become Benjamin. Benjamin, why are you so anxious? Or you are anxious. You are troubled. And I am the one thing that is needful for you. I will never be taken away from you. You can never lose me. Nothing can separate me from you. You've got to take the words of Scripture and, and personalize them. And, and in this meal, in this meal we, we hear our name called by the Lord. So again, he says, Benjamin Milner, this is my body broken for you. And this is my blood shed for you. And, and for each one of you as much as for anyone in the history of the world. The same as for Peter and Paul and Augustine and Calvin and Luther and Edwards and C.S. Lewis and all these people I love to read. Uh, as, as much as he died for all those people, he died for you personally. And I've heard it said, and I believe it's true, that if you were the only person that had ever existed, he would have died. He would have gone to the cross for you alone. And so... Um, that's his word for you tonight. Uh, that on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood shed.